0: Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Colin Squires. Now, this morning, we're, uh, we're continuing in our uh, series on Ephesians. I'm just going to switch over to this one, Matt. And uh, we're in Ephesians 5. And uh, just a quick content warning. Um, some of what's touched on in Ephesians 5 may be PG-13 or PG-16. And so just want to give a content warning. If you have young children in the service with you or in Crawley, um, you, though these are important topics to cover, we definitely will encourage you to com- have conversations with your children about them. It must, of course, be done in an age-appropriate way. And so we'd encourage you to maybe listen to the message first and then have that co- conversation if you're at all concerned. So just want to put that out there. But if you've got your Bibles, if you want to open to Ephesians 5, and we're going to have just to go through these verses and see what does God want to say to us as we unpack it. And we start off then, the very first words, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. So the first words we're reading of our chapter today, and they seem utterly impossible. Right? Imitate God. Now, I don't know about, about you guys, but like, I'm, I, that doesn't mean that I'm thinking I'm going to walk into the room and every time I turn on the light switch, I say, let there be light. Or uh, start maybe wearing more togas or growing a long beard. Um, I mean, also, th- it's just impossible for us to be like God in that sense, right? I mean, when God breathes out, it says in, the, in Psalms, he breathes out stars. I mean, maybe you could call that heliogenesis. When I breathe out, you get a whiff of halitosis. I mean, it's, it's just there's, some, there's a big difference between me and God, right? It seems impossible. And yet, what we heard from Victor's amazing message last week, by the way, if you haven't heard Pastor Victor's message last week, I really encourage you to go and listen to it. Incredible, faith-building, affirming, no-messing message that just just, just rang so true of who we are in Christ. Absolutely powerful message. Really encourage you to listen to that. And he talked about the fact that we are image-bearers. We're made in God's image. We're to bear his image. Paul, the apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians, he said uh, in, in another piece, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We are to be then little pictures of Christ, little pictures of Jesus. It's actually what the word Christian means. It's a little Jesus, a little anointed one, little Christ, little anointed one. And so here we're called to be imitators of God. You might think, well, Colin, you just said imitators of Jesus, not God. But let's connect these dots here uh, in that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Paul said, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. Yeah. So we want to follow the connect, not dots. We're to follow Paul's example to be like Christ. Yeah. Christ follows God's example and looks like God. Yeah. So if we are looking like Jesus, we are looking like God. And so we're to, we're to imitate God. What does that mean? Does it mean the, the riding on a cloud, that kind of stuff? No, those things are impossible. And in fact, we see this following Christ out, laid out in the next verse, in verse 2 in Ephesians 5. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So in each of us, we are to, to do this. To be Jesus in laying down our lives, in, in loving one another. Now, Jesus wasn't a graphic designer. Jesus wasn't a mother. Jesus wasn't a husband. But in all of these things, I can be Christ in that sphere. I can be Christ-like to my wife. We're going to look at what that means more next week in, in the next part of Ephesians 5. 5. Um, We can be Jesus in our workplace. We can be an image bearer wherever we are. And the way that we're most to show his image and demonstrate his image is not in our knowledge. God is all-knowing. I'm never going to be like that, like God in that. God is everywhere at once. I'm never going to be like that. No matter how hard I try, no matter sometimes what church life feels like, I can't be everything all the time. I'm also never going to be all-powerful like he is. But in one way, I am called and I can, by his grace and by his spirit, imitate him, be just like him. And it's that verse 2, live a life filled with love. That is the God love. That's the agape love. Not a familial love. That's a Greek word, storge. Not an emotional love. That's a Greek word, eros. Neither of those are actually in the New Testament. Um, It's also not even filio, brotherly love. It is agape, it's agape, a God kind of love. Um, in John 1, uh, 1 John 4, 7 to 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Yeah. There's this beautiful picture by Alexander McLaren, I may quote him a little later, um, who's this 19th century preacher, and he says, Just as the, the drop of dew clings to the tip of the thorn and reflects all of the lights uh, all the colours of light, it reflects the picture of the rainbow in the sky. So our lives reflect that picture of God's love, a perfect tiny replica, because it is not a love that comes from ourself, it is a love that comes from him. So we're to imitate God in the way we love one another, in the way we love our neighbours. And then I love this bit in verse 1, it says, "As, As dearly beloved children. This speaks of our motivation. We are not serving Supreme Leader King John Un. There's not this fear of, oh no, if, if I get something wrong, I'll turn up and I'll lift my hands in worship. <laughs> yes, I'm very happy to worship. <laughs> yeah, knowing that if I don't, I'm going to be dragged off to a prison camp, which is the reality for so many people living in North Korea. This is not our God. Romans eight fifteen says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. So as dearly beloved children, this is our, our motivation. I'm uh, married to the wonderful Kate, and I want my part of my heart is to serve her and love her well, to champion her. When I see a pile of washing in the evening that needs to be, a pile of washing that needs to be done in the evening, I don't think. Oh, I better do this because I'm terrified of her. Let's be honest, there is a little bit of that. Um, But because I love her. I want her to to not have to come down. We've put the kids down and then she comes downstairs and, oh, there's all of this to do while I go and play video games. No, I want to love her well. Um, Because of her love to me. It's reciprocal. We love one another and it excites in one another a deeper and deeper love. And as we love one another in action, we draw closer in our love for one another. It's this beautiful call and response. And in the same way, we are beloved children of God. If we connect in with him, with his heart, for who we are, then those things that seem hard or difficult melt away. I said I might quote Alistair McLaren. Here we go. It is a poor, cold thing to say to a man, do this because it is right. It is still a more powerless thing to say to him, do this because it is expedient, or do this because in the long run it leads to happiness. It is altogether different when you say, do this to please Jesus Christ, to please that Christ who pleased not himself but gave himself for you. Yeah. That is the fire that melts the ore. That is the heat that makes flexible the hard, stiff material. That is the motive which makes duty delight, which makes the rough places plain and the crooked things straight. It does not abolish natural tastes. It does not supersede natural disinclinations, but it does smooth and soften unwelcome and and hard tasks. And it invests service with a halo of glory and changes the coldness of duty into a rosy light. As when the sunrise strikes on the peaks of the frozen mountains, the one motive which impels men and can be trusted to secure in them whatsoever things are noble is to please him. Verse 10, which we'll come up to later, says this carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And it says in 1 John that this giving of ourselves, laying down our lives and charity and giving, this act of worship is a pleasing thing to God. So if we're finding something burdensome, Maybe uh, maybe we need to look at our motivation. Perhaps there's a difficult relationship you have. Perhaps it's the church you're at. Hopefully not. Um, Maybe it's just finding it difficult spending time with God. It feels burdensome. I encourage you to come back to the motivation. Come back to who are you. Listen to Victor's message. Who am I in Christ? I'm his dearly beloved son. As we focus on that and who I love, I love In fact, we love because he first loved us. So just spending that time in who he says we are, his children, it makes those hard things just easy to carry because they're for him. Often there's this this thing that um, Alexander McLaren says in there about um, it's not good to say to a man, do this because in the long run it leads to happiness. And all too often I hear, and I've even heard preachers about this, Of this kind that seems to kind of have this sense that Jesus is somehow like an add on to life, almost like get up and go for a run in the morning, it'll be good for you. Practice a little bit of mindfulness now and then to help clear your mind. You know, just worship now and then, it will just help you, just stay centered. No. Jesus is not an add-on to make our life a little bit happier in this life. Jesus is our all in all, our complete focus, the fulfilment of all of our attention, the one that we are utterly and completely living for. And he must be, amen? He can't be a tacked-on ec- optional extra. He must be our all in all. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, because of how you've loved us. We then go on, let's have a look at verse three. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. First, we're going to tackle this in general. Then we're going to look at some of these specific things. And all of this is summed up, I think, really beautifully in verse 8, which says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. This is who we are. I mean, it's not something we do, who we are. Don't act, it says, therefore, as though you're not. Don't think of yourself as you did before. We used the example earlier of my marriage with Kate. And, and similarly, again, like marriage, I used to be a bachelor. I owned 23 guitars. I used to do what I wanted when I wanted to do it. I mean, I was I looked after myself well. I cooked and I cleaned and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, sometimes it might take a week or two for the clean washing to go from the pile on the floor <laughs> into the cupboard. Folding laundry was more an option than a necessity. Um, there were certain things in the way that I lived that were just centered around me and I I live to please God and I worship him but there were many of my decisions were just what works for me now some people if they're maybe not a Christian for them their life before marriage was not one that was monogamous maybe they were sleeping around with different people but when we get married hopefully we say this is the one for me none other those are the vows that we make and we're saying I'm now living also for my wife so now, as a married man, I only have 12 guitars, can you believe? Um, and uh, and I, I very, very infrequently have the time to play any video games. As a married man, I don't just think of myself. I think about my wife. I have to think about who's going to be home, when, how are we going to look after the kids, who's making dinner, who's doing to tidying up, how can I love you well? We are one. So there's a lot of thinking, a lot of time in my thinking is, how do I make sure that this is working together, working out well? The worst thing I could do as a married man is start to think of myself as a bachelor. If I started to treat my wife as though I was a bachelor, and I started to spend all of our money on income on buying guitars, and then said, don't tell my wife, you know, we're not going to be able to afford any food this week because it was too good a deal or whatever, or I just spent all my time playing video games and she's having to look after the household, or even worse, I decided that I was going to live like I used to be as a bachelor and start sleeping around, who knows, it's going to impact my marriage. Here's what we need to hear, though. I would still be married. My actions here wouldn't change my position. I could go and do those things, but I would still be married. Now, the worst thing is that my heart becomes so hardened that I start to, I become unrepentant. I go, do you know what? Actually, my marriage is just holding me back from the lifestyle I really want to live. You're just nagging me all the time. And even though my wife, all she's done is love me well, been gracious with me, forgiving me, patient with me, my heart becomes so hardened, so distanced from her that I start to blame her. And maybe even I end up divorcing her when all she's done is love me. And I move away. Now, this is the same Principle with God. We can, if we chose to, or by accident, we can sin. It doesn't change our position. We're still in Christ. We're still his child, but what it does is it distances us from him. It begins to bring separation. It changes our thinking. We're no longer walking. It hardens our heart, and it starts to get to the point where we become unrepentant, and that is a dangerous place to be. Now, last week, uh, Victor, he he led us through Ephesians 4. and Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, we read all about this old way of thinking. And I want you to realise just how many times it's talking about thinking in the context of the old person we were, the old man. It says this, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, no longer live as you used to, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the the hardening of their heart. Now, remember, in Hebrew thinking, they're not as dualistic or compartmentalised as we are in the West, where we romanticise the idea of heart, and heart is like feelings and destiny, and head is logic and, and will. It's the same thing. In Hebrew thinking, there was, there's one person, this holistic thing. Your head and your heart, your mind and your heart are one. So when it says here, due to the hardening of their hearts, it's not some romanticised Western ideal. It's just the hardening of their thinking, yeah. of their minds. Verse 19 goes on saying, saying, having lost all sensitivity, they have given given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So what do we see here? This thinking that has that has been changed for us. This thinking leads to a loss of sensitivity to God. It leads to a hardening of our heart towards God. It leads to separation. From God. Romans 8, 5. Again, Victor brought this out last week from Romans 8. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Verse 9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And verse 12, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Praise God. We don't have to do it anymore. This is this wonderful picture about the, that Victor was talking about last week of what Jesus has done. In Christ, we're new creation. We have a new way of thinking, a new mind that is led by the Spirit, the mind of Christ. We don't have to think that way anymore. Before, we could have tried and we could have sought to improve ourselves. We could have gone on self-improvement courses. We could have done everything we could have tried to, but without the Spirit of God, it would be impossible to have a heart or a mind or thinking that is softened to Jesus, to his way of life. But in Christ, this is what he has made possible. But just like my marriage, I had to learn, especially in those early years of marriage, I had to learn how to use fabric softener and what it was for. (laughs) You know, I had to learn how to communicate to my wife if I was going to be late, because in my head I thought, she would say, what time are you going to be home? And I'd be like, six. Six is going to be pretty much impossible, but that's what I'm aiming for. And then when I turn up at seven, I would be, I couldn't understand why she was cross. I was trying for six. You know, but it, things happened. And so I had to learn what it meant as a married man. Oh, no, when she says, what time are you going to be home? She wants to know what time I'm going to be home, not what time am I hoping or trying I'm going to be home. Be realistic. That was helpful for me, but I had to learn it. In the same way, Jesus has done it. He's brought us out of bachelorhood, if you like. He's made us part of the body, the bride of Christ. He's going, well, right, we are now in relationship with me, this marriage. It is who you are. It is where you are. But there are some things you're going to have to learn so that you don't think like you're still a bachelor because you're not. We need to apply or appropriate learn what this means. Ephesians 4.20 talks about this, this way of life that the Ephesians learned. It says, verse 22 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Putting on this new man can in part be seen as this new way of thinking new attitudes, new approaches to who I am in Christ, to see the way I think of myself and how I see myself, to who God is, to who other people are and my relationship with them, towards what sin is. It's a new way of thinking. Most people who walk away from God or commit adultery or whatever, some, some big sin, probably don't wake up one day and just suddenly do it. It's been a gradual thing. It, it starts with just a thought. That thought comes in the mind and then it leads to something. And, and often that first thought is probably not even sinful. It often starts just as a lack of wisdom. We read about this in, a, in Proverbs 7, if you want to flick there. I'll read it out to you. I'm going to skip a few verses for the sake of time just so we get the story. But it's about this guy. He's looking out his window. He says, As I was at the window of my house looking through the curtains, I saw a naive young man, and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman strolling down the path by her house. Now, you've got to think to yourself, like, right then, like, is that the best route to take? You know, was that sinful to be in that area? No. But was it very wise? <laughs> like, is he thinking, like, at the back of his head, he's going, well, I'll go that way, but I'm not going to act on it or anything, you know? I mean, if I happen to catch a glimpse through the window of her, <laughs> not my fault. I was just happen to be in the area. It was a bad idea being in there in the first place. Also, it was at twilight the, in the evening as deep darkness fell when that kind of woman happens to be coming about. That's not a sensible time to be in that area. Number two, is it sinful to be out at twilight? No. Was it stupid? Probably. The woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. This is probably a good time to go feel my wedding ring and just back away slowly. This is probably a good time to make some wise choices, to think I'm not who I was before doing anything that I wanted. For us as a Christian, we're saying, This is a good point to say, I really, well, it's actually probably two steps late of being a good point, but it's still a better point than going any further to say, I'm gonna step away from this. She's often in the streets and markets soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, And with a brazen look, she said, my bed is spread with beautiful blankets, with coloured sheets of Egyptian linen. Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses. For my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. That's a really good point to be thinking, this is a horrendous idea. This is the point, this is, this is definitely becoming sin at this point, isn't it? To have not run away from this. It started as, as maybe foolishness. It became temptation and now we're stepping into sin. So she, she, she seduced him with a pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. For the sake of time, we'll, we'll skip over the next few of those verses. But it says that at verse 27, her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. It started with just a lack of wisdom. The sinful part wasn't the choice to walk in that area. That was foolish. But it fast became temptation, which fast became sin, which fast became death. Uh, verse 16 of Ephesians 5 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Ephesians 5.5 5 says you can be sure that no uh, immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. And we read, we read in James 1.15, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. Perhaps another picture of this would be a boulder at the top of a mountain and, uh, and it stood at the top of a hill. And while we just leave it alone, it's not particularly a danger. But if you start to give it a shove and go, oh, I wonder what will happen, can I move it? And you give it a little shove, it starts to wobble. Well, push it a little bit more. Well, push it a little bit more, it starts to roll, oh, this is cool, and then it starts going down the slope. And we immediately think, oh no, what have I done? It's now running away from me, and I'm running after it, trying to catch it. Maybe I managed to get in front of it, put my hands out, and what's going to happen? It's going to flatten me. In that same way, should we be at that point when the boulder is is tumbling down the mountain, being like, right, this is a good point to evaluate my choices. Probably the best place to evaluate the choices was when I was thinking, should I give this boulder a shove? No, stay away from the boulder. Maybe put a fence around it so no one else is tempted to go anywhere near it. So Ephesians 5 says, you can be sure that no one who is immoral, impure or greedy will inherit the kingdom of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but reading that is a little bit worrying. Because I know that there have been times in my life where I have been a bit greedy. Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. So I know that I have committed these sins. But there is a difference between these people that he's been talking about that will not inherit the kingdom of God and us if we're in Christ. This is what we've been saved from. In Christ, we have an inheritance because we're heirs with Christ. Um, But the difference is repentance. Repentance. Asking forgiveness and turning away from that's what repentance means to turn away from these things. Now, it's God who brings us to repentance in the first place, and if we can, and it causes us to confess these sins as sin, we're not trying to say these are fine, we're excusing them, they're good. In fact, verse six says, There are people who try to excuse these sins, it's on these people that God's judgment and wrath is coming. Let us never And this is such a subtle thing and so easy to do. Let us never begin to excuse our sins of saying, oh, it's only a little bit. It's only a hint. I only strolled by her window and happened to peek in. You know, I didn't go into her house. Just a hint will be okay. We start to excuse these sins and there's a lack of repentance in us. This is a terrible and scary place to be. We need to make sure our hearts and our thinking is being submitted to God and saying, God, if there's anything in my life that you see as sin, of disobedience, that I repent of it and I come back to you as your, beloved, as your beloved son. Not in fear, as your beloved son. Remember, all the context of this is all Ephesians 1. The, the, sort of the headline is, how wide, how deep, how long, how vast God's love for you. All of this in the context of a loving father who wants us to steer clear of being flattened by a boulder. Amen. There is a danger that if we think about ourselves, God, others, or sin in the way that we used to, that we can, as, as we read about in Ephesians 4, that we, again, dull our sensitivity, hardens our hearts, brings separation. We can start by becoming cynical or bitter or unrepentant, and eventually we start to excuse our sin. Now, perhaps uh, one of the reasons that Paul talks about some of these examples of these specific sins, and he says these, these words, not even a hint of sexual immorality, um, or in verse 12, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Is because even when there's just a little bit, it can open the door for so much more. Tugging on our minds and tugging our hearts away from God. And this was my experience. Now, I know many of you, most of you probably have heard my testimony before. And I want to give a very, very short, in this area, a very short potted version of this um, just briefly. But I was, uh, I was exposed to pornography and sex as a child. I was tangled up in shame with this confusion and knowing this is a bad thing and knowing that I shouldn't talk to anybody about it, but still this confusing feeling of, but it seems exciting, but I don't really understand it or what it is. Um, it became a way of coping with stress. It's not porn or, or, or these kind of things are rarely actually about sex. They're usually a way, a coping mechanism of dealing with life, dealing with stress. That's what it talks about here becoming an idol, the place that I go for my satisfaction or the place that I go for safety. Uh, that is not God. It became a way of coping with stress. And by my mid-teens, I was completely hooked. Uh, I was addicted. I tried to stop. And as a non-Christian, I knew that there was something wrong. I knew it was a little bit scary, but I had no idea who I could talk to. I had no idea where I could go, what I could do about it. I tried to stop, but I couldn't shake it. Jesus found me. He wonderfully saved me. He turned my life around. So many things in my life just changed in a moment. I stopped drinking. I'd been drinking heavily up to that point. I stopped drinking overnight, never drunk since. I, uh, I, my, my language of swearing a lot of the time changed completely. My attitudes towards people and things changed. I was a very um, sarcastic, dry um, person. And that, that changed very quickly. It became just, just the life of Jesus filling me. And for a while, there was freedom in this area too, but eventually it, it came back. And that was the story of my life, is that there would be times of freedom, but then it just kind of finding its way back in. I knew it was wrong. I knew it was sin. I hated it. Sometimes I didn't even know why am I looking at this thing that I hate and I want nothing to do with and I feel so ashamed of and I feel just so just disgusted by. And yet to make myself feel better about how awful I felt, I would go back to it again. I tried to stop. I tried everything. I tried prayer. I tried fasting. I tried crying out to God. I tried reading my Bible. I went to Bible college. Nothing seemed to work. I thought marriage might solve it. It didn't. Uh, I was serving God. I was loving God. I was worshipping him. But also at the same time, I was robbed of some of my confidence before him. Mm. Ashamed of myself, feeling isolated, trapped, alone, and powerless. This thing had power over me and I had no idea how to stop. Six years ago, I joined a pure desire group here in the church. It was one of the ones we, as we were launching it, uh, and and the men in that group, the way that they loved me, they they shared in their vulnerability with me, invited me to be vulnerable, to confess my sins one to another, and pray for one another, and so might be healed. I was equipped with the tools that I needed, the biblical truth, and the understanding that what we learned, what we read about in Ephesians seven, that l- Ephesians, sorry four, learning to apply who I am in Christ. All of that started to come together and to click and I found freedom. I found how to, to, to think this new way of thinking and I still do it, by the way. I don't want anyone to get the impression that you can go and do a course and God will wa- wave his magic wand and then you'll never think the same thing. You know, you'll, be, you'll be delivered from your flesh. No, that's not how it works. I, conti- I learned how to continually and to go on continually putting into practice these thought processes, this new attitude, this renewing of my mind. And still today, there's a guy that I will call, one of my accountability partners, if I go, I know I'm gonna have a hard week this week, it's gonna be really stressful, and uh, and I don't want in that moment to think, hmm, maybe I'll just wander down that particular path at twilight, you know? Just cut it off right from the beginning. Hey, I know I've got a stressful week, I know I think I might be tempted, and so I just want accountability with you that I'm not going to go there. Amen, I'm praying for you. We're just you know, It's like it's that renewed thinking day by day by day by day that I remember every day. No, I'm not a bachelor. I am married, joined. I'm in union with Christ. So I want to live as in Christ. And that's a super short version because this is not the first time that we have looked at this topic or I've shared my testimony from this stage, nor is it the first time that we've talked about this issue. Two years ago, can you believe it? Two years ago and one month. uh, We did a whole series called The Culture of Grace. Now, I have not got anything like the time to go into all of that right now. This is just one line in Ephesians 5. But if this is you, maybe it was you two years ago and you've not moved very much since. Or maybe it's you and you're new to the church or you're here today or you're watching online and this is you, this is part of your story. I encourage you, if nothing else, first step, just go and watch those messages, that series of messages. Hear the testimonies, hear what God is doing and what he can do. Off the back of those, that series of messages, by the way, I was contacted by so many people, more than any other series we have ever done. Uh, saying how liberating it was, how it's led them to joining a group or finding freedom in God, people sharing the series with friends or family members they knew were struggling in this area, people coming getting equipped, they know how to help others in this area, people getting set free uh, and taking steps to ensure they continue to live in that freedom. At the time when we publicly launched Pure Desire groups in the church for both men and women, this is not just a men's men's problem, this is men and women, in the last two years, we have run 16 groups. 16 groups that are just of this helping people step into the truth of who they are. And, and this is not the kind of thing where you usually get someone coming from a stage going, I'd like to share a testimony. <laughs> Understandably so. It's not my favourite thing in the world. But I want to do it because I want to say, if, if he can do it, if he's going to be vulnerable, I can do it too. Okay? But I want to read this, this testimonial that someone sent recently. And is just... Wonderful, because we rarely hear it, and I want you to know just what God is doing in the background stuff. It took me months to decide to take the step of doing the Pure Desire course. I got to the point where I I tried everything and nothing had helped with the cycles of porn and sexual addiction on and off, on and off for 30 years. The kindness of the leadership and the generosity in making a way finally helped me go for it. The course itself was brilliant, inclusive, genuine, new information, fantastic exercises, the ability to be truly honest with others and putting God right at the center. However, at the end of it, I wasn't sure that I could pinpoint anything that had changed particularly. However, one year later, having not looked at porn once in that time, I know for sure it shifted something in my heart. It has changed my life from being a 30-year regular battle that I'd inevitably lose to being a non-issue that I don't even think about 90% of the time. I am so thankful. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And in these groups, there's nothing like, it's just doing this. It's doing this what really says. Like being church together, being one, being vulnerable, confessing your sins, praying, healing, like learning to put it in practice. It's just like a, a hothouse for going, like, this is what we need to do and how we need to live. And, uh, and I, would, I, mean, I think it's wonderful. I think it's absolutely amazing. It's the, the, one of the best things I've ever done in putting my focus on Jesus and drawing me close to him and bringing a sense of freedom. And, uh, and so I want to say this to you if this is you, if the, in this area, this is you, don't give up. You're not alone. I understand. There are many leaders who understand and there are teams here who understand who have walked that path and by God's grace have stepped off of that path and have chosen, I'm not going to walk towards that house anymore. I'm walking towards the house of God and I'm going to walk in the light, not a twilight. (laughs) Now, why does Paul mention sexual immorality specifically here? Perhaps because it's unlike any other sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. I've not got time right now to go into the why, but the problem with porn and sexual immorality, by the way, sexual immorality means so much more than porn. It happens to be the Greek word pornea, which is where we get the word pornography from. But it is anything that God says is unhealthy and unholy spiritually that is not good for you. What is right in God's eyes sexually is a man and a woman in the confines of marriage. That's what he says is the right place for that. And there are so many reasons why it is not good for anything else. But one of the main reasons, I believe, that Paul says it's different to everything else is because the way it, it physiologically, chemically alters our brain and the way that we think. It is addictive, more addictive than crack cocaine, uh, and, and the, the, um, the neurochemicals that are released and the hormones that are released Um, in sexual release, are meant for one thing in marriage. They're actually, in men, very, very briefly, in men, the, the chemical that's released at that moment is vasopressin. In women, it's oxytocin. This is called the monogamy hormone or bonding hormone. Oxytocin is the chemical that is released when a woman gives birth and holds her baby for the first time. It's the bonding hormone. And so whatever we're looking at at that point, our brains chemically wire to it. They bond to it. So rather than our brains bonding to God and and that that sense of just safety and bonding and who, God, you are to me, or within the confines and safety of marriage with one person, they bond to whoever we're with, whatever we're looking at. And that verse of the two become one flesh, that is a spiritual truth, but it's also a chemical and physiological reality in our brain. You're becoming one. You're bonding together with something God never intended us to be bonded with. And so it is so important. So there should be not even a hint in the church. Amen, we want to be a spotless bride. Not a hint in my life, Lord. As a witness to the world as well. So we're not robbed of our authority. So if if for you that is pornography, if that's an issue or sexual addiction in any way, or unwanted sexual behaviour, please, please, please join a group. But no matter who we are, what the issue, what the temptation, what that thing of go back to your old man might look like, uh, Paul gives us some really great practical advice, which we're going to come in and land this with now. From verse 11, he says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When we keep this stuff trapped... In the dark, it festers, it molds, it grows, and the enemy has a field day with it. He is laughing at the power he has to use it. But as soon as we confess it, we bring it into the light. Yeah. He runs from the light. The darkness cannot overcome it. He has to flee, and there's the opportunity to, to see that thing dried up and shriveled up and dying when it comes into the light. But also, it becomes a light. What, for me, kept me in bondage for so many years, God, by his grace and mercy, has turned into a testimony that has been part of helping others come into freedom. It has taken what was darkness and turned it, it's become a light. God wants to turn around whatever darkness you're in and turn it around. Bring it into the light and then make it a light. Bring light out of it. Then not be trapped in sin, but you are a child of light. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 16 says, Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't miss the opportunity to sign up for a group. We've got freedom starting uh, in a couple of months or a pure desire group. Here is an opportunity for you. Paul says, make the most of it. The days are evil. We need all the help we can get. Um, Do grow. Come along to a welcome lunch if you're new. Get involved. Serve on a team. Be in the place with other believers working together to serve God. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, some of these things might not sound like immediate, like if I'm wrestling with something in my mind and I'm trying to make a better decision, these aren't immediate things. The idea of I'm struggling, I want to go and look at something that I shouldn't, I should sign up for a group right now, that's probably not going to help you. But if you sign up for a group, then in that moment you will have already been equipped with the tools that you need, you will have the accountability partner to call so that you can do the immediate thing. And Paul's advice here is, uh, is not about just thinking, not thinking about bad stuff. If I were to say to you, whatever you do, don't think about an elephant dressed as a ballerina with a top hat. <laughs> what are you thinking about? Uh, he's like, he's not saying just not what you don't do. He gives some really practical advice of what you should do. So he says in verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, here's what you do do. Be filled with the Spirit. If you're in that moment, whatever this is, not just, I'm not just talking about pornography here, but anything, whether it's the way you think about yourself, the way you think about others, the way you're thinking about God, the way you're thinking about a situation, if you're tempted in any way, one, one of the wonderful tools we can have is, is with the Holy Spirit is just engage with him in tongues. Speaking in tongues can really help shift our mind. Paul talks about praying in the Spirit. I want to be fruitful in the Spirit and fruitful in my thinking, in my mind. And praying in tongues, it just, it redirects our thinking. It points us towards the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Thinking led by the Spirit rather than than by the flesh. Verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Again, this just picture of our need for one another, encouraging one another, stirring one another up and telling one another, singing over one another, goodness of God. The, the next line says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Worship, not just in that moment, but saturating us in, ourselves in worship because worship in its very definition is all about him. It takes our focus and our thinking off of ourselves and on him. And I know the difference between when I've had worship music on at home in the day and that kind of thing. And I've just had my my attention keep just directed back to Jesus, directed back to Jesus. The way that I then think the rest of the day, my mindset is in a different place. And this is an encouragement, reading this, I'm like, yeah, Jesus, I need to do that more. Maybe I should do that. Chris and Sylvia, I know, have got a playlist that just plays, it's like a thousand tracks long, and just, it's on in the house all day, every day. It's a place, it's a home filled with worship, and you know it when you walk in through the front door. Um, worship directs our attention to Jesus. And so, the, we've, got, we've got some responses here to make this morning, and part of them as, as often, I think, nearly always, every time I bring a message, it's like our response is, cannot just be just right now. It must be ongoing. It must be the way, that we're, it's a change direction in path. Yes. And hopefully, if in opening the word, if I've done my job right, we should go, Oh, is this the step I wanna take? Maybe I need to change direction. And we start walking and thinking and approaching life in a different way, approaching God in a new way. So some of this is for the ongoing, but it starts with a change of intention of heart. So would you stand with me this morning as we just do what this last line says. We're going to give thanks to God the Father for everything. We're just going to put our attention, we're just going to worship for a moment in our hearts. We're not, not with song, not with music or anything like that, but just in our hearts saying, God, I want to take my attention off myself and all being about me. And in all of this, I want my response to come out of responding to you who you are, lifting my attention. Let's just, in your heart, put your focus on him. Maybe you want to engage your spirit in tongues for a minute. Just just putting that focus on him. Father, Father, I worship you. Thank you for who you've made me to be. Thank you, Jesus. I declare that in Christ, I am a child of God. I declare that Jesus has done it all, that Jesus' sacrifice was more than enough. Thank you, Jesus. You've given me, you've made me the new man. You've given me Christ to put on and to wear. Thank you, you've given me your Holy Spirit. Thank you for all that you have done. You've given me the mind of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that everything, every thought that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, I can tear down because of the power of your Holy Spirit that you've given me. And Jesus, to put my mind, to set my mind on things above. Thank you for that you are above every other thing, every name above every other name. Jesus, Jesus, you fill my horizon, my vista. Fill my thoughts, fill my attitudes, fill my mind that I would walk in your ways. We just worship him, we praise him, we say, we, tell, we thank him for what he's done and we tell ourselves, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Who he is and what he's done and who I am in him, Amen. we worship Him. Thank you, Jesus And if in that place, where we come where we're worshiping Him, we have said, and we know in our hearts, right now maybe the Holy Spirit is showing you, we've said, oh, it's okay, it's only a hint that we just come and we repent right now. we say, "Father, forgive me, where I have set my standard of holiness above yours, where I have whether on purpose, or whether I've just not really realized and you're showing me, reminding me right now, where there's been a hint. And this could be anything. It could be a hint of your, in the way you're thinking towards another person, an attitude of cynicism or bitterness. It could be towards a, a thing in my home, like, well, it's okay if I just have that there. I don't really want to get rid of that. Because it's a comfort to me, but I know it's not good. I know it always leads me to something else. Maybe for some it's drink, you know. Maybe the, the drink isn't excessive, but where it leads you you your thinking afterwards is just not good. Whatever it might be, is the Holy Spirit, not out of fear, but as dearly beloved sons and daughters. Let's respond, Jesus, if there's anything I need to, I need to ask your forgiveness. And let's just ask him, Lord, give me that afresh, that mind of Christ lead me step by step by your Holy Spirit in every decision I'm making that I would make wise choices the Lord where where I'm about with discernment where I'm about to go somewhere where it's going to be an unsafe or unhelpful place for me that while I'm learning how to apply this stuff Lord you would just prompt me don't go down that route go a different way make a better choice just like there will be a fresh holiness in us that just just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace and said there was not even the smell of smoke upon their robes, that Jesus, there'll be not even a hint of the smell of sin upon us. Jesus, not because we're making ourselves holy, because we apply and appropriate who you said we are and we live in the good of it. We don't live as bachelors anymore, Lord, with you. We live as your bride, holy, spotless for you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And you know what? If there is any area where you know you need to join a group, you can email me directly, colin.squires at faith.com. If you're a lady, you can email Anna Andrew, our, our Crawley pastor, uh, anna.andrew at faith.com. You can email our, our general email address that actually only Anna and I will ever see, which is puredesire at And or you can just have a conversation with me. It doesn't have to be right now after the service. Come and grab me sometime. Come and have a coffee with me. Come and talk to me about it. Let's address it and move forward from it. The worst thing you can do is do nothing. Amen. That's right. And maybe you want to do this. Maybe it's not pornography or sexual addiction. Maybe it's something else, but the principles are the same. Come and do a group anyway. Get involved. Or maybe you just want to be equipped to be able to help a brother or a sister. You want to be better equipped just to know how to apply this new man that we have in Christ then get involved. Do the Freedom Group. Sign up for the Freedom Group. If you've never done it, or you need to do it again. There's no shame in it. We all need to do it. We all need Amen. to learn how to continually walk in freedom, live in freedom every day. And finally, if you don't know Jesus, if like me as a teenager, you felt trapped, whether whatever it is, you know you've messed up, you don't know a way out. Let me tell you, Jesus is the way. Amen. And unlike me, because of the way we're one of the 7% of churches in the world who actually have something to, to address this issue, you won't be like me. You don't have to be someone who gets set free from loads of stuff, but then there's another 10 years to address this issue. Issues. You, you can come to Christ, come to that way, come to that place of freedom um, and know what it means to walk for the first time, not just hounded by shame, but truly free, free in deed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, I just pray for anyone here who who needs to take a next step. Lord, I just take authority over the enemy, says that that just any thinking that says that's not for me, I can't, I'm too far gone, anything that would speak to to their mind that would be a lie and that old way of thinking, we tear it down in Jesus' name. And Father, thank you for renewed thinking that says this is an invitation from Jesus, I'm not gonna pass up this opportunity, God, you've got more for me, I am your child and as your, your beloved child, you are drawing me in to the freedom that you truly have for me in Jesus' name. No condemnation, no shame. Love you all. Let's welcome Michelle back up as we just got our our highlights. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.